0: All right, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're going to try to cover the whole chapter. Amazing. Acts chapter 6. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephan, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip Prochorus naiakuk. Canor, Timon, Perminas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they sent before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people, Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freed men, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephan. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and changed the customs which Moses delivered to us and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel father we thank you again for this morning and we just continue in our worship of you we want to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that we might hear via your Holy Spirit what you'd have for us, maybe individually, for our family, maybe for our church corporately. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need your counsel. We need your wisdom in all aspects of our lives. So, Father, I pray for the gift of teaching, and as we look at this this man's life this week and next week, that you would just stir our hearts to be open to be used by you via your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Acts verse by verse, and so we find ourselves in chapter 6. Uh, you can get the previous studies. We have them on CDs. They're free. Acts 6.1, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. We see here in our opening verse that there was continued growth in the church. You see, we studied in Acts chapter 2 how the church started out with 3,000 converts in one day after a sermon by Peter. And then in chapter 4, just after a short period of time had elapsed, the church grew about 5,000. And then we saw that there was a purging that took place through the lives of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. But right after that in chapter 5, even though that situation had taken place, there were still multitudes, the scriptures say, multitudes of men and women who became believers and joined the church. So as we look at this this morning, so we get a better idea of what we're dealing with, it would be conservative to say that there were probably 20,000 believers in the church at this point. Men, women, children. Conservatively, when you just do the simple math. So... That's a lot of people to try to take care of. And with that many people, there are bound to be problems that will arise. And so what we're seeing here this morning is the first problem that the church organization is going to have to address. We see that there was a system in place that allowed the widows of the church to come and receive a a daily allowance of supplies. The disciples were the ones handling this situation, but it was coming way too big, way too big. Think of 20,000 people. And it was getting complicated. We'll see what they did in a few verses. But first, though, we notice that there was a grumbling, a complaining happening within the church. You see, in the eyes of some people, there was just a plain form of discrimination, discrimination that was taking place. The believing widows who were Hebrews were receiving more from the church than the believing Grecian widows. So we want to look at that a little bit. Now, the Grecian widows were not actually Gentiles, or what we know in the Scripture were called Greeks, but were Jews who were born and possibly raised outside of Israel. They were heavily influenced by the Greek culture that Alexander the Great brought about some 300 years earlier. A person who was influenced by and followed after the Greek persuasion was called a Hellenist. So these Hellenist Jews worshiped the same God as the Hebrew Jews, but they spoke and dressed differently because of the Greek culture that they were influenced by. And this was causing some to treat them differently in the handing out of the supplies. Verses 2 through 4, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. Notice, so the twelve apostles or disciples summoned other disciples and said it is not desirable that we should leave the word of god and serve tables therefore brethren seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the holy spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word now we want to remember we got to go back to this time frame They didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. And remember on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples that Jesus came alongside, and he revealed to them everything that the Messiah was to suffer? Because remember, guys, in their mindset, the disciples' mindset, even the night before the crucifixion, they were looking for a conquering Christ, not a suffering servant. So when Jesus went to the cross, that just annihilated their theology. Something's wrong. No. Jesus was fulfilling the the prophecies in the word of God and specifically about the suffering servants. Isaiah 53, specifically one. And in the New Testament, he is going to fulfill the conquering Christ at his second coming. He is going to fulfill those. So they needed to take this time, you know, we can't be, able, we can't, so they're not trying to have an escape. They're saying, we gotta, we gotta dig into the scriptures. This is a new church and we got 20, maybe 20,000 people looking at us and going, and, and why are we, a, why are we a church? And, and why do we believe what we believe? They are digging into theology to teach the theology that the scribes and the Pharisees were not teaching. And that's why there was so much envy and hate towards the disciples because now people are looking at some of these hicks from Galilee, fishermen, instead of looking to the Pharisee who studied under Gamaliel or some other rabbi. That was very irritating to the religious, religious elite. And we want to keep that in our own minds as we read this to get the context. You see, the 12 called some of the other disciples together and explained the situation from their perspective. Guys, there's only 12 of us. There's only 12 of us. And you see how many people are coming on a regular basis, especially the widows that need food every day. But there's only 12 of us. You got to help us out. You, You have to help us out. There's no way that we can do all this. Here are 12 disciples preaching and teaching about Jesus, the free gift of salvation. People were getting saved, and the church was starting to receive donations on a regular basis. Now the disciples have to think about this as well. Not only do we have to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, so that we can teach the Word of God, but now people are bringing money to us, as we read earlier on, Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas. They laid it at the apostles' feet. So now they have to become bankers, and now they have to become obligated to God. They have that accountability to God for the money that's coming in, They're not out buying new donkeys. They're not out buying new houses in Jerusalem. They're doing what the word of God says to do. Take care of those who need not want those who need help. So they're doing that. They're learning these things as they go as well. You see, things appear to be moving quite well, but now comes along a group of people to complain about the way something is being run, which is sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? It hasn't changed. And wouldn't this whole situation be a little overwhelming for anyone at this point? I would say yes, absolutely. It might be overwhelming for man, but not for God. You see, the disciples who are now filled with the Holy Spirit are following after his lead. They do not panic. They don't start to argue amongst each other. They do not neglect what their first calling was to be in the word and to pass on to others the knowledge of this newfound faith in Jesus. Because guys, remember, for you and I today on a regular basis, we come here Sunday after Sunday or Wednesday night or this other. It's like this is this is second nature for us as believers. you got to go back to what's being taught here. This is all new to them. This is all new to them. They are creating the New Testament right here, right now. So we kind of look back and go, what's the big deal? It's kind of obvious what they should have done. Well, okay, can we do another Bible study? I'm not getting anything out of this. No, you've got to go back into it so you can learn how it even applies to today. Even to today. Even though we have paid staff, can this paid staff do everything? Absolutely not. Not in this church. Not in any church. Every church, no matter how big the church is, every church heavily relies upon volunteers and we're, that's why we want to have an appreciation conference we love you guys and we appreciate all that you do and for those of you who are, are having been involved and you've been coming here for a long time or even over six months you need to be praying about as you're being ministered to how you can minister to someone else because now it's not just going to be the 12 and the 7 that are going to take care of 20,000 people. Could 19 people do that? No. And that's where we're going to get theology in the New Testament from. How to do that. But for you and I this morning, it's very, very applicable. Very applicable. Rather than engaging in the confusion, they suggested a plan that worked out wonderfully but when you look at that plan you could be sarcastic and say oh yeah we're gonna sit around study the word of God and pray all day they're just a bunch of lazy bums they only work one day a week when they teach in the synagogue they're just lazy they want somebody else to do all the work you got to get the bigger picture you got to get the bigger picture let's notice how the people were to pick those who would serve alongside the disciples in verse three very very important Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. So the very important thing is reputation. In the New Living Translation, it means well-respected. In the King James, the phrase is honest report. So in other words, even though we're not supposed to judge one another, we are called to be fruit inspectors. We're called to be fruit inspectors. So you look at seven, you draw seven men that you know are faithful. Well, how do you know they're faithful? You have to be watching them. You have to be looking at their lives privately as well as publicly. So there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be checking it out. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Likewise, deacons. Must be reverent. Now, again, guys, think about this. The disciples didn't have this. Paul is writing this several years later. Likewise, deacons. So now these men here, these seven men, we would call deacons at this point. Not doubled. must be reverent. So if you're looking to become part of leadership in this Christian church or any Christian church, if you want to be raised up, if you have a calling on your life, and, and that is Fantastic. Then you should aspire to become a deacon. And a deacon is one who serves. Serves on a regular basis as the Lord leads you. You know, I felt this immediately when I got saved. It wasn't the whole, it was the Holy Spirit in me. And I felt called to serve. And my wife felt called to serve. So she could have been called a deaconess. We just desired to serve. So as you do that though, you have to be prepared to live in a fishbowl. If you're new to the faith, you might not know what that means. What's in a fish bowl? A fish. And what do people do when they come into your house and they see a fish bowl? They go up and they look at the fish. And they go, wow, what a cool fish. We've got a goldfish. I don't know how long this thing's going to live, but I think it's going on four years. It's crazy. Every week they clean it, clean the bowl. Well, as a Christian, as you aspire to leadership, you're going to be in a fish bowl. You just have to realize that. Is that bad? No. What do you got to be afraid of? Kind of like all these conspiracies that are flying around. I really don't care about the conspiracies because I know this book. People know more about me than I know about myself. Big deal. If I'm not doing anything wrong, what do I have to worry about? What do I have to worry about? What do you have to worry about? We don't have to worry about anything. So they know something about me. Ooh. Don't worry about it. Just keep serving Jesus. And so here we see now, we start to see the qualifications of those who would like to become deacons and also pastors. Notice, not given to much wine. Notice that. Not given to much wine. So it's okay for even a deacon to have a drink here or there. I personally, the Lord told me, I don't know how many years ago, 30 plus years ago, I don't want you to drink anymore. Way before I was in the ministry. And I would have a drink every now and then. I said, okay, no problem. And I haven't had a drink. Go to a wedding; I, I just don't have a drink. It's no big deal. Now I'm not legalist and tell everybody else you can't drink. You're on staff; you can't drink. I just say whoever comes on staff, and even to you as our as my as our my flock, I would encourage you not to drink, especially in public, because you as a believer you have no idea who's watching you. You have no idea what influence that could have on a weaker Christian, which goes into Corinthians. And then you could take that to an extreme and become legalist, which we'd not, I'm not endorsing that at all. But you also have to be mature enough to realize, well, who might I stumble? And I know we can take even that to an extreme. So it's all about balance, balance, balance. So as you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit, should I be drinking in public? And the Holy Spirit says, fine, then you obey the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit says, you know, I think you should refrain from that, then you need to listen to the Holy Spirit like we should be doing. Does that make sense? And not just drinking. Anything that we do. The, the, the places that we go into. we got to listen to the Holy Spirit. So here it says, not given too much wine. Not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Notice that. They're to be tested before they become a pastor. Let them also serve as deacons being found blameless. Now, again, we can find something wrong with anybody. You all, if you checked me out, you could find something wrong with me. That's not the point. We want to find balance. We are saints, but unfortunately, we lived in these bodies of sin. Do I repent? Do I ask for forgiveness? Yes. Is my life being transformed? Yes. Is a person's life being transformed? Yes. Then we show grace and grace and grace. If somebody falls into a sin, they repent. A week later, they fall into the sin. They repent. A week later, they fall into the sin. They repent. Then we got to bring them aside and do some discipling. Saying, you know what? I don't think you're ready yet to be a deacon because there's some issues in your life. Well, I really want to be one. Okay, well, let's see how you submit your life to the Holy Spirit and see a transformation in your life. See, it's laid out now in Timothy, the early church didn't have that. But we see that they were to look, they were to inspect. Likewise, their wives must be reverent. Not that every deacon is married, but if they they are married, not slanderers, temperant, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So that word ruling there is very important, it's not... Well, I said jump, and you're to ask me how high. No, 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 no. It means to have under control. Loving control. To be able to control your house. To be able to take your children to the word of God. Your wife to the word of God. And wash her in the water of the word, Ephesians 5.26 tells us. Now, if our children go haywire, then we have to deal with that. That doesn't mean we can't be a deacon or a pastor as long as we're not condoning what they're doing, as was our case for our oldest son who went haywire for 20 years. There were times I thought, I, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing because my son's out doing what he's doing. But yet he was out doing it. We dealt with it. We had healthy boundaries. We had biblical boundaries. So the Holy Spirit just said, no, he's a man. He's making those decisions. He's making his own choices. You have no control over that. You keep serving me. And so that's the way you got to look at that. We can't control or condone everything our children do. They have to go out and they build their own testimonies. But notice this for yourself, especially you wives, that that would like your husband maybe to serve in the church more than they're serving So we can all serve, but when you really take that position of, you know, I want to do more than just once a week or more than just once a month. I really want to get involved. I want to, I want to set up. I want to tear down. I want to be a part of the ministry. Then you're taking the next level step. You as wives need to be in in unity with that. The two shall become one because if you're not in unity, the enemy will come against you and use that against you and cause division in your marriage. So even in that, the two of you need to be praying together on a regular basis, saying, am I called to do this? Verse 13, those who have served well as deacons um, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, when we submit ourselves to the Heavenly Father, we are going to become more and more filled with the Holy Spirit. What was the requirements? Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, wisdom, more and more filled by the Holy Spirit, which will produce a wonderful byproduct called wisdom, wisdom. You see, as Christians, we should all be seeking after wisdom. Let's get James chapter three, because many people seek after and find knowledge, but only a few actually apply that knowledge to gain what is called wisdom. Let's look at James chapter 3, and then after you turn there, we'll go back one slide. James chapter 3, verse 13. So wisdom is the application of knowledge. The disciples have knowledge, and now they're using wisdom. Which in the case of Christianity would cause the believer to become more like Jesus that's the bottom line why we're here this morning if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus if you just came here to punch the clock to do your religious obligation that that we used to do as as Roman Catholics we went to church and they called it that your religious obligation once we got saved it was no longer an obligation it was like a privilege wow I'm gonna go to church I'm gonna learn about God I'm gonna learn about Jesus before then it was an obligation oh bummer Man, I got a headache from last night. Man, I gotta, I gotta pretend that I love God when I'm afraid of God. What a bummer this is. But I gotta do it. Cause if I don't do it, I'm going to hell. I was going to hell anyways. Didn't matter if I punched the clock or not. So if you don't have a, re- a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you are going to hell. That's just reality. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. As you gain that relationship with Jesus, now you're not playing church or being religious. You actually have a relationship. When God looks at you now, he sees the defense attorney. He sees Jesus. And you are found guiltless. All of your sins, all of your sins were taken to the cross 2,000 years ago. Not some of your sins. God never says, oh, I didn't know you were going to do that. Jesus, can we forgive him for that? I didn't I didn't see that one. All of you, that's mind-boggling if you think about that, guys. Every sin that you've already committed, the sin you're going to commit today, which we all commit sins, the sin you're going to commit this week was forgiven at the cross. God to us, heaven to earth, there's no problem. Earth to heaven, I need to confess my sins. Because I just blew it. I need to be right with God. God's always right with me. i got to get right with Him. So forgiveness is so important, and so is wisdom in James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? So we should look at other people and go, you know what? You're wise. You're not a wise acre. You're wise. You've got wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. What does that mean? Don't walk around puffed up. I know more than you I've been in Christianity 40 years. I know more than you. When are you going to get it together? I know more than you. No, be in humility. You know, I've been in, I've been in Christ for 40 years and this is what God has showed me. You know, just, just do this. I mean, the tone of your voice, your body language, speaking love and encouraging that younger saint. You can do it through the Holy Spirit. God can get you through this through the Holy Spirit. You can forsake that through the Holy Spirit. Always direct into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So you older saints, show good conduct. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, in other words, what today we would say is when you go into a meeting in your workplace or sometimes when people come to this church, they're visiting this church and they'll come up and talk to me after the service or during the week when they come in and they start to talk, I can hear within the first couple minutes that they have an... What's the word? Does anybody know what that word is? An agenda. They have an agenda. Oh, your church is so nice, and your seats are so comfortable, and this, that, and the other thing, and then here comes the agenda. And I just smile and say, you know, you got to be here six months. you got to be here six months before you can do anything, before you can serve, before you can be up on the platform, before you can be raised up in the leadership. And they'll just kind of look, Really? Really? That's their agenda. You had an agenda. And then I don't see them again. They weren't honest. They weren't full of wisdom. They had an agenda. And then they walk away bitter, self-seeking. Do not boast and lie against the truth. But wisdom that, this wisdom that does, this wisdom does not descend from above. Notice this. So bitterness, self-seeking, boasting, lying, does not come from heaven. So this is for all of us, guys. Is the Bible applicable? A uh, Yes. Are any of us self-seeking in this room? Raise your hand if you're self-seeking. Am I the only self-seeking person? This is reality. Is it not? At the end of the day, I'm really not concerned about too many things except what? Myself. I would like to Relax can we turn everything off? Can nobody bother me? I've had a hard day. I would just like to relax, but this needs to be done. And this needs to be taken care of. And this and this, it's like, ay. what do we need to do? Die. You got to die to self and keep doing those things that need to be done. You have to die to self. So guys, this is applicable. This is reality. Do any of us lie as Christians? Maybe, kind of, sort of, you just lied. You just lied. So we all fulfilled that. I mean, it's just... For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And that's what I really appreciate about our fellowship and, and other churches, but specifically our fellowship, because we do have boundaries. We do have rules, not for legalism, but just for safety. Safety. And we have meetings. We had a meeting this past Monday. Uh, The the volunteers of the staff who serve on various ministries, we gather every quarter and we we talk to each other and we discuss situations and we discuss the ministry and and it's not vying, well, you know, I need that room and you always have that room or this, that, or the other thing. That doesn't take place. In 16 years, I've never allowed that to take place because this is all going to burn. This is all going to burn. We only have one opportunity to serve Jesus. One opportunity, it's called this life. We can waste it through envy, bitterness, resentment, or we can all get along, as we have done for 16 years, the Sunday school, the Wednesday night program, the school that rents the facility during the week. We all get along because why? We're serving Jesus. We're serving Jesus. That's the main goal, guys, for me, and I hope it is for you. And if that is your main goal, we're not going to have any of this stuff. What happens, though, in verse 17? But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, pure. Notice that, pure. Do I have pure motives? Then peaceable. Well, if I have pure motives, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to go, oh, you need to use that. Oh, I didn't know you needed to use that. Okay, no problem. You use it, and when you're done with it, then I'll use it. We have peace. We seek after peace. We're gentle. We're willing to yield. We're full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, James is not just talking about deacons here. I know we made a jump. So let me clarify that. James is not just talking about deacons here. He's talking about anybody in the church, anybody in the church. If you have wisdom, which hopefully you do because you've gained some knowledge of the word, you could be 17 years old. And you could have more wisdom than a 70-year-old who doesn't know Jesus in this room right now. So don't get hung up on the age. You could have more wisdom than a 70-year-old. It's are you applying the knowledge that you're gaining through the Word of God to develop wisdom. Young people, that's what wisdom is. I take what the Word of God is teaching me, knowledge, and I now turn that into wisdom. I don't date an unbeliever. You might not even be young. You might be in your 20s, 30s, or 40s and you're single. So what is wisdom? Don't missionary date. Well, I know I can win them to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Don't do it. Oh, no, it'll be fine. Don't do it. Just talking to you from practical. Don't do it. It'll be okay. Years later, why didn't I listen to you? Listen to me. Why didn't you listen to the word? Forget me. I was just taking you to the word. Live with it. Now you got to live with it. So guys, this is young people, older saints, knowledge, wisdom, knowledge, wisdom. Are we applying the knowledge that God is giving to us? Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make Peace. Back in Acts chapter 6, you know, I think that, that the disciples are using wisdom here and were willing to delegate so that they could continue to focus on what? Prayer and studying the word of God. Those are the must for anyone who desires to be used by God. Developing a prayer life. So again, here's some practical application for you if you're seeking to get into the ministry. Developing a prayer life and setting aside time to read and meditate on the word of God that is a must if you're looking at getting into the ministry now we're all in the ministry. I'm just I think you guys all know, but I'm gonna say it again. This is if you want to take that next step like I want to I want to help in this this uh, youth ministry help Joseph in the youth ministry. So the people that have come to Joseph, we've evaluated them, we've looked at them, we've we we've prayed about them, we've looked for fruit, and we go, yeah, they're mature in the faith. Yeah, they're ready to be have that position. That's what we have to do according to the Word of God. There are other people that have asked, and they said, not right now, not right now. And that's okay. It's not that they were bad people or anything like that. It was just as they prayed, the Holy Spirit just told them, not right now. And that could be the person that's... Being asked no, that said no to, can be upset about it and leave the church, or they can be mature enough just to go, okay, God has something else for me to do. Praise God. There's lots of things to do around here, guys. Lots of things. So 6, 5, and 6. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, or if you want to say Stephen, Stephen is a lot easier. And then the, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and the list. You guys can botch those up like I did. Verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. You see, the people agreed with this idea, so they appointed seven men to meet, uh, to, who met these qualifications. And the Lord is going to show us and give us more details about these two. Uh, only two of these deacons are helpers, Phillips and Stephen, in the scriptures ahead. The others, we have no idea what happened to them, and uh, the other five. Verse 7. Then the word of God spread, notice here, and the number of disciples multitude greatly in, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So if, if 20,000 is a number or 15,000, you pick a number, whatever, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. It's just growing. And a great many, notice this here, I actually have a, this is highlighted in my Bible, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, who are the priests? The priests were the men who had the privilege of going in and offering sacrifice in the temple area. They knew what a blood sacrifice meant. And so as the disciples are explaining from the Old Testament the blood sacrifice and how Jesus fulfilled those scriptures, then they look to the cross and they go, We get it. Now we get it. He was a suffering servant, not a conquering Christ. And they then... Came to believe as Jesus as their savior. And Stephan, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Here's a very important fact to notice. Stephan was not an apostle. Yet the Holy Spirit gave him supernatural abilities. Again, this letter that we're studying is all about the Holy Spirit being intimately involved in the life of believers. That's for you and me today, 2,000 years later. Are you a believer? The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Do we want to be used by God? No? Okay. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You can say that. God still loves you. You're going to heaven. He's not mad at you. He still loves you. His love doesn't change. You're you're unfortunately limiting yourself because Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. Jesus said that. So if Jesus said that, I want to follow that. Now that might be behind, be behind the scenes. That might be up front. It doesn't matter could be cleaning toilets. Pastor Chuck taught us, you clean a toilet as a senior pastor. And we saw this exemplified by Pastor Chuck, who's in heaven now. You should be willing to clean a toilet as well as preach from the pulpit. And Pastor Chuck, in his 70s, in his 70s, was found in the parking lot changing a tire on a car. Someone else's car. Now, if you don't know anything about Costa Mesa, then you're not going to really appreciate that. But he could have easily called maintenance. They had a maintenance team, not one guy, a maintenance team. He could have easily called the maintenance team and said, hey, there's a car with a flat tire. Would you guys come out and take care of this? And he could have gotten his car and drove off. 35,000 people went through Costa Mesa a week with all the Bible studies taking place. It was, it was believed 35,000 people. And here is the senior pastor. In the parking lot, changing a flat tire. What does that tell the rest of us as senior pastors? Be humble. What does that tell all of us as believers? Be humble. Do whatever it takes. You're serving God. Whatever it might be, you're serving God. You see, it's not just the apostles The Holy Spirit is not just working through the apostles. Verses 9 and 10. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephan. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit. Now, in your Bible, it should be a capital S, the Holy Spirit. So it's not that Stephan went to seminary for years. He got really, really smart in the Old Testament and nobody could challenge him. No, no, no. He's a young man. He just received Jesus. The church lifted him up and said, you know what? You're, you're ready. You're ready, to, you're ready to move on. Serve. Which By which he spoke. Notice that. And the spirit by which he spoke. You see, unbelievers were trying to entrap Stephen, just like the religious elite tried to trap Jesus many times. But because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him, I encourage you guys, as you minister, don't be afraid. Fear neutralizes faith. Have a healthy fear of God, but don't be afraid of man. Because if we're afraid of man, then we don't step out. But if we just go, God, you're with me, and I will fail, and you will fail, I have failed, I will fail some more. That's life, but you just gotta get back up and say, okay, God, you taught me something. Thank you. I'm gonna keep moving. I'm gonna keep moving because you wanna use me. Through the answers that Stefan was inspired to give, they were unable to deny the truth that was coming out of his mouth about Jesus being the Messiah. Then they secretly induced men to say, who are these people that were being talked about here? Who is this group of people? The religious elite. Again, if you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, we don't want you to be religious. Religion is, I do not like religion. I hate religion. It's dangerous. We see the effects of religion to this day. It's about a personal relationship. We're just seeing the effects of religion here. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him and brought him to the council. And what would that council be? Do you guys remember? begins with an S. The Sanhedrin, the 70 ruling, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the guys that knew the word of God. And what are they doing behind the scenes? Get him. Get those seven guys. We don't like them. And so they, they stuck specifically with Stephan. And it goes on to say, And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes. Well, oh, read that. Sorry. Verse 13. They also set up false witnesses. Here's the religious people of the day who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. Did Jesus ever say that in the Gospels? No. And change the customs with Moses delivered to us. Did Jesus ever say that to his disciples? No. Did, are the disciples doing that? No. But let's lie, because we want to do what? We want to kill this guy. And all who sat in the council stood, stood looked, looking steadfastly at Stephen saw his face as the face of an angel. Let's look at some scriptures real quick. John 15. John 15, 18 through 21. Since they couldn't outsmart him, they brought in liars to falsely accuse him. Wow. Maybe that's why we're afraid to take a stand for Jesus even in the days we're living in. Because people will falsely accuse us and maybe ruin our reputation. Jim, would you do me a favor, brother, and just kick down 5, 6, and 7 one degree, please? Maybe the enemy uh, will do that against us. Well, let's look at John 15 because it says, If the world hates you, now this is in the night before his crucifixion, fiction. you know, speaking to his disciples, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Has that changed? Do people today, even in our own government, hate Christians? They do not hide the fact at all. At all. So guys, we shouldn't be surprised. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, how many of you have this on a wall plaque? (laughs) They will also persecute you. Yes. Wow. Great. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But there will be those whom you reach who will fall in love with Jesus. Not fall in love. Let me rephrase that. There's no such thing as falling in love. Who will make a commitment to love Jesus because Jesus first loved them. And through that commitment, they will love to spend time with you and hear the word of God. It might only be one or two, where there's 200 that hate you. Don't get hung up on the 200. Focus on the one or two. That's what it's all about. Let's look at Exodus 34, real quick. Exodus 34. And I'm going to start reading. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. This is supernatural. I do not encourage anyone to try this. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Now, when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. He was like one of those glow sticks. And they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the children of Israel came near, and they gave and he gave them the commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, went into the tabernacle, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put a veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. We'll wrap it up with these verses, Second Corinthians 3, as the music team comes up. 2 Corinthians 3. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. So now Paul's referencing what we just read. So that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Which glory was passing away. As Moses came out of the tabernacle, his face would start to fade. The glow would start to leave. He'd go back into the tabernacle. Again, just like a glow stick, he would get re-energized. He would come out. It would start to fade. So Moses didn't want the people seeing that his face was fading or that the glory was fading. So that's why he put a veil on. So the people would realize the glory's in there, not in me. The glory's in there, not in me. It was a temporary glory that faded. How will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious for if the ministry of condemnation had glory? The Old Testament, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory for even what was glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels New Testament that glory excels for if what was passing away was glorious. What remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses. Notice this. Now we get a little commentary on the Old Testament, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded for until this day, that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, even to today, 2019. Because the veil is taken away in who? Christ. The New Testament. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, Jew or Gentile, the spiritual veil, that veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, and this is the point I really wanted to make this morning, we all. Paul was from the South. We all. But we all, with unveiled face. Guys, we don't have a veil on our face. So Paul is, is going back to Moses. When Moses went in to see God, he, put it, he took the veil off his face. He got the glory. When he came out, he put the veil on his face. No, no. We, we have an unveiled face. We see God. We take God out. How do we do that? Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This is our mirror, guys. Are you reading your Bibles every day? Not for religious obligation purposes. Not for duty. Not for debt. Out of devotion. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to shine like Jesus shined. I want to let that light. What did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. See how the scriptures all tie together, guys. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord as being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What I say earlier, and if you're new to the faith, you might not understand this. If you're old in the faith, you might say, I really don't care which I hope you don't say that, but you might be thinking that. It's what I said. We want to be more like Jesus. I think most of you are here because you want to be more like Jesus. I think that. The only way that I'll know that and the only way that you'll know that is by producing what? Fruits. If you're just here to punch the clock, then you're here to punch the clock. But if you want to produce fruit, then that tells me and that tells others, that tells your family, that tells your mate, that tells your children, your grandchildren, that tells everyone around you I want to be more like Jesus. Transform him in the same image from glory to glory. But how does that happen? Through crawling on glass? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I need more of the Holy Spirit. You need more of the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand guys as we sing this song. And I ask you this week to just ask yourself, do I really want more of the Holy Spirit? I go to church. I do read my Bible. Guys, just ask yourself this privately. Not for me, not for anybody else. This is something that I have to ask myself on a regular basis. Why do I do what I'm doing? What's my motive? Do I have an agenda? I have to ask myself this on a regular basis. I encourage you this week to ask yourself that as well. What's my agenda? Is my agenda to be more like Jesus? God's going to bless that. God is going to bless that. But then how do I do that? by being in the word, by praying, by hanging around like-minded Christians. Acts 2.42. Do that, and you'll become more like Jesus, and your face will shine. People will notice a difference with you when you're in the grocery store line, when you're checking out, when everybody else is yelling and whining and grumbling and complaining, and you just stand there, and when it's your turn, you get up and actually smile. Do you think anybody notices that? And then what do they say? What's with you? And what do you get to say? I'm going to heaven. And this is nothing compared to eternity. Throw that on, guys. You'll watch. You watch. Their eyes will light up. And they'll say, man, that is so true. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, please come up. love to pray for you. If you haven't received Jesus, come up and receive Jesus. Don't leave this place without him. God bless you guys.
1: sing, I choose to praise, to glorify the name of all names, and I choose to praise. The name of all names That nothing can stand against And not just to praise To glorify, glorify The name of all names That nothing can stand against Oh yes, I will lift you high In the lowest valley I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy on my days. Oh, yes, I will for ¿sí?